We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Let's talk about Demons Part 1 by Fyodor Dostoevsky, coming up today. Ah, let's get into this discussion. I'm excited. It's winter, and that means it's Dostoevsky time, and I'm actually really excited to talk about this one, because I finished this entire book, and you, sir, have only read Part 1. Now tell me, I felt at the end of Part 1 super confused. Not like I was lost or didn't understand what's going on, but like there's... I had so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm still processing everything. I mean, with Dostoevsky, obviously there is a multitude of characters and there are so many names that are impronounceable for, uh, you know, someone like me. I don't feel lost, but I'm I'm processing. I feel like I'm on a Pentium 1 computer from 1995. For all the old people, you'll get that reference. <laughs> we have this plot that is very tenuous, right? Like almost non-existent, but the the relationships between the characters, so much depth to them, so much to explore that even having finished this whole book, I still feel, in all honesty, a little uneasy talking about this part. We're going to have a before you read video, something for you guys to check out to help ease you into this on top of this part one, uh, kind of give you some of the background and stuff as well as up on Patreon, we'll throw up all these videos all at once ad free. But we need to go through this story, I think a little bit slow. We need to peel back this onion because I've realized that this is a book of secrets. This is, this is that onion where when we peel back, we learn some more information, but it's not like a cheap mystery novel. It's all about exploring these connections because these are real people that we see these are real things that kind of happen in terms of these double dealings and double crossings but but once you learn more information it's all about reevaluating those relationships which is why i think this is going to be a book that's going to be very rewarding to return to i feel like as i've read this first part that these relationships are going to have a lot more meaning as we progress and i i again i'm not confused but i definitely don't see where it's going as a whole for the plot, but I'm thinking, okay, I keep thinking, what does this relationship gain? What does this relationship interaction mean? Where are these two relationships going to go? I just feel like that there's so much depth to this book, and I don't even really truly know where Dostoevsky is going with it. What is the point of Demons? So part one, let, let's talk about how the story reaches us, right? Like, like, let's kind of follow through this in order because we're exploring almost aimlessly Vavara and Stepan's life in the beginning. But you have this narrator who's telling you these stories, right? And it's very strange how it's being told because sometimes it's like, hey, I'm Anton G. I'm in the room. What up? Like, this is what happened. This is who, <laughs> who said to what. And then there's times where it's like he wasn't there. He completely just evaporates in the discussion and he knows things almost omnisciently. Like it gives you this almost polyphonic voice experience. 
that I would compare to maybe like a novel like Absalom, Absalom, where you're never even really sure who's really telling the story sometimes. So I ask you this question then, because you're my guide through this. Is that on purpose? Does that have a payoff at the end without giving any spoilers away? Or is that, what is the purpose of that design? Because it just seems to kind of confuse me at this point through part one. Well, I'll say this. Think about, let's talk about Dostoevsky as a person, right? Because okay. he, he's he gone through his Petrashevsky circle years where they were liberal-minded uh, writers that, that influenced the youth of Russia. He got arrested, firing squad thing again before video, uh, but... He, he escapes that. He starts writing, super influential, already wrote Crime and Punishment. But he's traveling. In, in, in what, 19, 1869, he, he's in Dresden, Germany at this point in time with his wife. And he's actually getting news with more information printed in Germany about Russia than Russian papers are printing about Russia. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so in some ways, he has a, a better view into the situation, almost like when Anton's like, hey, the, like my buddy Stepan, my confidant. Like, <laughs> like, we get a really close-up view. But in another way, he's not on Russian soil. Right. So in many ways, he's removed from the situation, too, of I heard this through a friend and, oh, I, th I think I do this. There's there's even a quote from Dostoevsky's letters. He says, I'm going to cut out a middle part here, but he says, I do not know and never knew except from the newspapers. And the part I cut out will go through more in part two and three. But you have Dostoevsky even having like this this distance at times. And if you've taken like, you know, like these literature classes, you talk about um, psychic distance of, of how how close versus how far back are you from the characters? And Dostoevsky waves, like, weaves this even more complex web, in a sense. But I think it creates this secrecy, where, if you think about it, Anton is Stepan's confidant. They, they, they know each other. They're friends. How much of the story are we even getting straight? Is, is there a bias to the story? We have to constantly be on our toes, because every time we learn information... Uh, there's something being withheld, right? Like we still don't freaking know what happened in Switzerland at this point in the story, right? <laughs> no, no. So, oh, you're just now bringing up Switzerland and we're 10 minutes in. <laughs> so uh, just to clarify then, as I'm thinking of the narrator and how the information is being um, delivered to me, I have to almost take that as not necessarily with a grain of salt, but knowing that Dostoevsky is almost inserting himself in the story to try to be an unbiased narrator? No, I don't think that's what I was trying to say. Um, okay. Let me, let me do an example here. So there's a, there's a point in part one here where there's this person in the room, they're, they're important, and we refer to them by their title or by who they're married to, stuff like that, like, oh, so-and-so's wife, or uh, this is this counselor, for example. And that'll go on for like paragraphs at a time. You're like, oh, okay, this is a minor character. They're not going to get a name. And then all of a sudden in conversation, one of the characters will be like, oh, that's Yulia. Or, oh, oh, that's the Duke of da-da-da-da-da. And it's once that the character's name is revealed to the narrator, even at this point in time, that's when we, the reader, start to use the name and see the name exposed to us. So it's almost like Dostoevsky is specifically withholding some information from us 
and the characters themselves are learning it. Like Dostoevsky knows where it's going to go and the characters uh, learn it. And that's how we, we experience it as the reader. We learn it with the characters at times. Okay. So it's, it's us following. If this was a movie, the camera is what it is. All right. So we're uncovering the mystery with them. All right. That, that, that allows me as a first time reader and, and being, you know, naive to the rest of the story to grasp, all right, what is the purpose of why I am being led down this rabbit hole in the manner that I am? Absolutely. Like, and you're going to constantly learn about new things, new developments, things that have happened in the past that we allude to, but don't know all the details. And then that's going to cause us to reevaluate not just the characters, but also the relationships and what we understood about them. This is an incredibly complex novel uh, that, that I think is going to be really rewarding with with multiple reads, for example. So let's the story starts out with Stepan and Varvara, right? Varvara. And again, pronunciations are going to be awful from us. I apologize in advance. I'm, I'm honestly crypto. trying. I'm <laughs> honestly trying, but these names are extremely difficult for me. <laughs> so the narrator's loyal buddy, Stepan, what do we know about him? Uh, How is he at raising his child? Oh, he is dad of the never <laughs> does he even raise his own kids like is that a thing oh it's like his wife died and he just completely abandons them it's it's awful how's he at work he's he's okay at work i give him a, a c maybe as a tutor but remember he got let go from his previous job that's why he became a tutor with with Barbara because oh, he yeah, was writing right. too much like edgy stuff so he had to get the boot when you start getting edgy and too liberal in Russia, because that's that's anti-Zarist, right? Like, you got to be careful. But that doesn't mean he's bad at his job. He's just a forward thinker. How is he with, and I guess the, the, my point not being he's bad at each of these. I, 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 I'm not trying to draw you to that conclusion. Okay. Um, how is he with Varvara? I feel like this is the only, like, positive thing. Uh, he seems to be an okay friend. I mean, he doesn't seem to have like an inappropriate relationship with her and he tries to do right by her to help her. They're moral friends of 20 years, whatever moral friends means. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, I don't know if she's bad cop, he's good cop, and I don't think it's straightforward as that, but I think that it is a platonic, healthy relationship. I would I would go far as to say that. Do you think she expected more? Like, remember that that part where she's like, I'll never mm. forgive you. You know what I mean? Because when we think about, again, Hinted at, yeah. you gotta remember the time period, him living as a platonic friend with her for that long, that's kind of going against social norms that he never proposed to her. I think not even back then norms, today norms. <laughs> How? Uh, let's just even talk about his language. How's his uh, Russian? <laughs> oh, it's great if you love French. <laughs> <laughs> Irritating to a certain extent. As a, as a, you know, single reader of, of English over here. But, uh, you know, we do know that French was used to demonstrate your education, your bourgeoisie of the aristocracy. But he has no control over it. Like, he, he just lets the French rip every second he gets. <laughs> do you think, it, okay, well, not do you think, but you probably know. Is this on purpose or is Stepan trying to show his air of aristocracy that he is supposed to be who he is because i feel like he's very insecure character he doesn't know himself 
He doesn't know what he wants out of life. He seems to be pulled along in all these different directions by all these different characters. Do you think that's something he can control to show that he's the man? Remember how, like, Tolstoy would always have those characters that are just very unaware of social needs, like when you think about Pierre, if you remember him? Yeah. Pond's not, like, that far out on that oh, scale, okay. but he, he's he's that dude that, like, didn't even realize that he's offending these social norms. He's awful at even managing. He's mouthful at being an aristocrat. Let's be honest. He can't even manage his own finances and such. Um, that he's just like, well, okay, I'll be a tutor. Like I, I can help raise the youth. But you're awful at raising the youth, bro. You totally have like abandoned your son, and now you're gonna raise Vavara's, you know, child over here. I think he he just has a certain amount of I don't want to say naivety, but he has a certain amount of uh, deafness of of the social scale of the social demands of, of the world. Okay. So now speaking of Avara, do you think that her influence is something that is the result of that? Because he doesn't seem like a very strong individual or character. And so he is kind of subservient, uh, I guess for lack of better terms, he's the beta and she's the alpha is how I kind of read it. Oh, she's totally leading him around by the nose, okay. if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, so I have that right think, at least. <laughs> you got to think about these two. Um, they are the generation that lived through the 61 surf reform, right? She went from owning 200 souls, from having 200 serfs work her land, to them being emancipated and her just being a landowner now, right? So to your point yeah. about her, her power and her influence, it's... Is it waning? You know what I mean? Like the aristocracy at this point in time, well, gosh, what did they do with their time? Like debate liberalization versus like, like the Slavophile, like the liberal versus the conservative nature of, of Russia. What does it mean to be Russian? Like they're the ones that had the intelligentsia and time to spend on things like that, as opposed to working the land and earning a living for life. And now that she's losing all this. Like, it's like almost like her power is waning. She had the money. She had to marry into nobility. What does she do? How does she stay relevant? And that's kind of like how I interpreted these move to Petersburg chapters. And we're going to stay with these writer circles and the dude, she's totally the college mom that's trying to party with the college kids. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing too. I thought that was very odd is that for a Dostoevsky novel to not have as many parties as there should be, I was thrown through a little loop, like, why aren't these people just throwing parties to make themselves relevant? <laughs> well, I mean, this is a tumultuous time, I would say. And I'm still learning about this time period. Uh, I've gotten a couple of history books. I'll put them in the show notes, particularly, to just kind of share kind of some of the things that I'm learning. But um, let me bring up a literary term here, because this was this is information that I've had in my back pocket. I thought about bringing it up in Dead Souls when we did Google's Dead Souls, but it just it just didn't work out. But I want to read this definition to you from Wikipedia. Okay. It's called The Superfluous Man. The Superfluous Man is a 1840s and 1850s Russian literary concept derived from the Byronic hero. It refers to an individual, perhaps talented and capable, who does not fit into social norms. In most cases, this person is born into wealth and privilege. Typical characteristics are disregard for social values, cynicism, and existential boredom. Typical behaviors are gambling, drinking, romantic intrigues, and duels. He's often <laughs> unmindful, indifferent, or unempathetic with society's issues and can carelessly distress others 
with his actions, despite his position of power. He will often use his power for his own comfort and security and will very little interest in being charitable, charitable or using it for the greater good. That was a really long line, I, I know. But dude, like when we're going to be covering like like in our time, we're going to be talking about fathers and sons in the future. This, this is a character you need to learn because he exists in a lot of Russian literature. So, wow. Hi, Stepan. How you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah, he seems to... He doesn't check all the boxes, though, but he definitely maybe checks a majority of them yeah, as, yeah. as a superfluous man. Yeah. But what does that mean to his character? Is is that his fault? Is that is he trying to grow past that because of his liberal views and writings that he got fired for? Is he talking down about those things, saying, I'm doing all this stuff, I kind of feel bad about it, should I not be doing these things? Is there a better way to be a Russian? Uh, he seems like such a complex character, though. And I can't give you all the answers right now because of part one and spoilers. Give let's, me all of them, Una. <laughs> let's talk about the forward here. He says, other leading liberals of the 40s, such as the critic Belinsky and the publicist Herzen, Dostoevsky penned his composite portrait of the father of the nihilists, Stepan Trofimovich Ver... Oh, gosh, these names. Verkovensky. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I've tried. Um, Good job. <laughs> <laughs> what what religion is Dostoevsky, sir? Well, he's a Christian. Orthodox. Yeah, yeah Russian Orthodox, right? Yeah. When he's, still, when he's abroad in Dresden and he's reading these papers about the riots, he's reading about murders that are happening that we're going to go more into in part two and three. He's reading about his country starting to engage with the ideas of materialism, that we're nothing but atoms, that there's no God, there's nothing else beyond this world is what the materialists and the nihilists are going to say. Dostoevsky is, I think he's just being affronted with, with all of these fears of, oh my gosh, what's Russia going to become? Because you have these Vavaras, the Stepans of Russia, who are materialists, right? They're liberals that are pushing for a Europeanization of, of Russia. They're people that they're not really taking care of the family from like a core family perspective. They're not raising the youth well. Like being a tutor is being a tutor the same thing as being a dad. Can I just outsource my raising of my son to a tutor? <laughs> you know, these these liberals, these characters, and not to say all liberals, it's the Dostoevsky character for his novel that he's going to attack. These are what he's afraid of. These are the people that are not leading Russia in the way that, that he wants, at least. So with all of these new agendas and ideas coming out, he's showing the struggle through Stepan of how Russian aristocrats and nobility are in this kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? They're in this, this transition period of what are we going to be? Uh, because probably the younger generation they're 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 not even gonna have a chance they're gonna be the new russia um and the older generations they're gonna die out before anything ever really changes so stepan is in that weird period of which group does he fit into and i love how 
we don't know yet. And again, I'm really excited to get into part two for I'm, I'm hoping that the story kind of starts to move along a little further and we see what happens to him and Vervara. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shatov with and his, the children, uh, right? Because <laughs> they got to show up. Oh, yeah. And Shatov with his slap. He imagine oh, there's oh, this oh. horse that's just been going there already. Here. No, no, no. I'm just saying that oh, slap. Okay. That's what that's what's going to send the plot forward. Each part one is 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 maybe 1.0 speed. Part two is maybe 1.5 speed. And then part three is like 3.0 speed. Like this story is just going to cook by the end. I'm telling you. Okay. So here's here's my theory. Um, I, I, I think, and, and I'm not the only one, but but I think when you look at Dostoevsky's younger life, when he was in the Petrashevsky circle and he was influencing the youth of Russia for liberal ideas. Right. I think he has some guilt for that. Right, because really? he views himself as partly responsible in terms of pushing some of these ideas that he no longer agrees with. And do you think he finally put the you know pen to paper and he didn't agree with these ideas because he saw the change firsthand as he made his travels around? Oh, I think he stopped because he got arrested and thrown in work prison. <laughs> well, yeah, and then, yeah, and survived being killed and all of that. And I'm sure that that, you know, that leads somebody to have some, you know, questions about what am I doing with my life and what what will be my legacy. Um, if he could only see us today, uh, I think he would be pleasantly surprised. But I mean, he has to know that he he's made some positive changes too. It, he he can't be reg- be regretting everything. I don't know. I don't know. But let's let's talk about that that mentor to student relationship a little bit. Um, I, I appear to be the only person in the world when I looked up some research on this that really enjoyed Lizaveta's <laughs> uh, plot here with, okay, let's, uh, let's collect all the newspapers and the articles produces here. Let's bind them up in a book and bada boom, bada bing. You've got the Russian conscious right here in a nice little, you know, bound book uh, to quote, to quote uh, the, the epoch, right? We have everything would be included with a certain view direction and intention and idea throwing light on the entire hall and totality. Oh, <laughs> I, I found this idea hysterical. Have you ever heard of like what a startup weekend is? Isn't that where like they, they throw you in like uh, like a lock in and you just pitch any stupid idea there is or something like that. And you're trying <laughs> to come up with like an invention or an idea yeah, well, it's it's entrepreneurs get together in a room and they lock themselves up over the weekend, startup weekend. They do nothing but try to to build, create, start, and launch a business that weekend, right? Like just just that fast. Like it's the idea of movement, speed, production, as opposed to effort, right? Like we need output. And 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 it's hilarious to your point. Like I don't think people are trying to pitch bad ideas, but you're moving fast. Mistakes are going to happen. And it's typically youth. Like you got a lot of young people with energy at these. And I remember there's like ideas like one guy was just like, we're going to put a fan on the front of a car. <laughs> Perpetual motion. I love it's like, it. What? He's like, yeah, because it'll generate energy and you won't need to burn any gas. And it's just like, bro, have, that's not how physics any works. Physics background. Like, <laughs> have you thought through this? Have you, do you have any uh, mechanical proposals or breakthroughs that the rest of us aren't thinking of? And they're like, uh, no. I was hoping you guys would figure that out. I just had the idea, right? Like, <laughs> like fair. 
this idea, right? Like, like it, it's, it, it, and, and I hope I'm not coming off as negative. Like the youth are, they're the ones that innovate. They're the thing. They're the ones that push things forwards a lot of time. Right. But this is Lisa, right? Like, like Lizaveta, she's coming up with this idea and she's like, okay, so Shatov, so right. Sounds good. Right. Like, can you just like go through those books and figure out which ones we need to put in there? And Shatov's like, uh, uh I need to think no. about this one. Right. But, but the point being, is 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 the youth they have these ideas right like they need to fulfill their lives with something so they come up with all this energy all these ideas and unfortunately or fortunately depending on your point of view like from dostoevsky's point of view i should say unfortunately he's worried about materialism he's worried about nihilism like these ideas that come up and possess people to take these actions to move forward in life and you so if, if lizaveta is like that person that gets just completely enraptured with an idea Shatov is the guy, interestingly enough, who can look at the idea and say no, right? Like he's able to turn that idea down and be like, yeah, no, not doing that. And do you think that is because with age comes experience of knowing how to execute ideas effectively and knowing also when ideas should be executed as well, right? I don't, I, I, I don't know because, because the youth, like when you come to some of these startup weekends, they come up with brilliant ideas and they can work through them. Lisa Vetta didn't work through her idea, right? Like I've got so many questions, Lisa Vetta. Who's going to select these stories? How do you know they're being presented like in a fair light? How do you know which stories to include or not include? Like, like there's so much to work through that Lisa Vetta's ideas isn't that she's young or doesn't have experience. It's that she hasn't worked through them. She doesn't know where it's going to go. There's like that quote from Carl Jung, uh, that he says something to the effect of you got to be careful of what ideas you choose because otherwise you don't know where that idea is going to take you. Right? If you don't know where that idea is going, you're not sure if you're going to like where you end up. Right. And I think that's Dostoevsky's fear. He's worried about where are these ideas going to take the youth and do they have the ability yeah. to say no? Shetov is an example of, of someone who can say no. He is a person who turns down this and says, no. Nah. This is a bad idea. No, 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 I'm not doing this. I think that's rare, right? I mean, for people to say no in the face of the masses is very, very difficult. Well, th think about what's being published at this point in time, right? We got Chernyshevsky's, um, what is to be done, right? We've got uh, Fathers and Sons, 62, 63. These books are coming out by Turgenev, which is, you know, the, the first book to coin the term nihilism. And you have these books that are that are pushing these revolutionary ideas into people of just we need to change Russia, right? If this is yeah, if the change, system change, isn't change. working, if the system ain't working, what do you got to do? You got to break it and replace it, right? And Dostoevsky's like, no, no, these are bad ideas, people. <laughs> and he feels guilty for that. Do you think if it had gone a little bit slower and they had ascertained maybe what needed to change at a minimalist paste he would have been okay with it i have a feeling that dostoevsky is a very hard man to please then. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough he's a guy I, I haven't read his biography extensively but from what i have read he, he was very particular he had very specific eating habits he wanted tea at a specific time of a day he had vodka with his breakfast very interesting man that um i i love his writing 
but he's so particular. I just don't know if I'd get along with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I think you guys have a lot more in common than you realize. <laughs> so, so let's jump back to the plot. Let's jump back to the plot. Okay. Okay. Because this middle part, right? Like, okay, what what happens in Switzerland stays in Switzerland. You and I have read a couple of Dostoevsky novels. We've got, uh, remember Prince Mishkin was from Switzerland where that insane asylum was. Uh, mm-hmm, Switzerland mm-hmm. was where Dostoevsky, the writer, saw that painting that inspired the scene of the death of Christ. And he's like, man, someone could lose his religion looking at that. And here he paints another set of characters doing who knows what's in Switzerland, right? Like he's got an obsession with this country. But in Switzerland, this Nikolai character is possibly sleeping with Lizaveta. He's possibly sleeping with Daria. He's possibly going to hook up with Count K's uh, marriageable daughters and such. Varvara goes out there and is just like expecting a marriage. Like, I feel so bad. This is this is the mom that's like waiting at Christmas for their kid to open the presents. And oh, it's not a ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was odd that Switzerland seems to have this fascination and I I would love to know, and I'm sure there's no probably historical record of it, what happened in Switzerland that scarred Dostoevsky so bad that it becomes almost the boogeyman in his novels? You know, is it as simple as that painting from from the idiot of, of Christ being dead there for three days, the body being decayed? Like, how could how could a human being resurrect from that? Right? Like, the, the idea of losing religion, and, and you have all these from a Russian orthodoxy standpoint, amoralistic things happening. Like from, from their perspective, the sex before marriage, the sleeping around, the lying, who knows what's happening in Switzerland. This is the death of religion to him in a sense. Yeah. I guess just, you you know me, I struggle with feelings and art in that nature. Um, Cause I, you know, I'm not a huge music guy. I'm not a huge art guy. And I've looked at the painting and I was like, all right, it's interesting it's really good. It's cool. But I guess maybe I'm not in touch enough with myself to look at that and go, I'm questioning my religion now because of a painting. And maybe, maybe it's because I'm a dumb American. I don't know. Uh, It just, it didn't have that profound effect on me that it did him. And that's, well, I mean, that's that's telling about me and him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, neither, neither, you don't have to have any particular experience about art. Art is able to bring out something, and whether it's literature, whether it's painted works. There's something about how art can expose certain levels of truth of humanity that just regular prose and logic fail to connect with people. And there's just something about that painting. There's something about the idea of seeing a body rot for three straight days and being able to say, wait a minute, how could Christ resurrect from that? Like that, that seems like... A, a disconnect, but that disconnect is enough to say, you know, I going off on a little bit of a maybe it didn't here, happen. But, but if if the resurrection never happened, that's a huge problem for Christianity. Yeah, yeah I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So so let's talk about this plot because Vivara kind of leads by the nose, joking, uh, Stepan along and says like, okay, you, you got to marry Daria. Because if my son's sleeping around, that's going to cover up his sins. You suck at, when, at finances, so I can give you some cash from a dowry perspective. <laughs> this this solves all of our problems, right? Yeah, this was crazy to me, and but it was so 
apropos right of how a russian novel was going to unfold it's the first time i felt like the the story was pacing forward i'm like oh okay i kind of see where this is going now so uh thank you for that <laughs> well it's kind of like so let's let's think about how Ravara wants Stepan to marry Daria, right? Like, I gotta cover up my son's sins. Uh, you suck at finances, so I'll give you some dowry <laughs> cash. We're gonna cover yeah. up all these things, no problem, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, comparing Lizaveta and her movements with Shatov, who's able to say no, Stepan, who can't say no to Ravara. Let's talk about these movements, right? Because sometimes we have good movements. We have things about promoting the protection of certain uh, classes that perhaps are being... Uh, not treated as well, stuff like that. But it, it starts out as an idea, right? Ideas are good things. And then an, an idea turns into a small movement, which, you know, people are causing change. And hopefully sometimes ideas cause good change and there's bad changes too, don't get me wrong. But then the problem is that those small changes become big changes. And when you have big changes, that's when you start to have like news coverage you start to have potentially laws passed. You start to have money exchange hands. And you start to have more people paying attention. And when you have more people paying attention, it's inevitable. You got eyeballs. When you got eyeballs, that's when you have ads. You've got news. You've got coverage. And when you have those things, oh no, it's a commodity now. And even then, in a sense too, it becomes a social commodity. Where being mm. a part of a movement Right, like those people that go to rallies just for the Instagram photo and then just so they could post it online to be a part of that. Yeah. Or to join an organization because your friends are in that organization. They don't care about sure. what that original idea was. They're now just in the movement, right? This currentization, a term that I'm borrowing from OG Rose, who he's taking from some others. I'll leave a link to his, his channel down below. But it's the idea of getting caught up into something big where it's even no longer about the idea it's just about the movement. And that's when things become very dangerous. So I guess this group essence is like about social signaling and one group to another. And we kind of talked about that in our brother K's of, you know, what one person was doing influenced what another was doing and, and that dialogue between them. Oh, yeah, that talk with that little boy. I mean, we don't want to spoil it. But yeah. That was, like, that was like one of the most memorable <laughs> parts for Brothers Karabazov for me. And nobody told me there's an entire book that Dostoevsky has on this concept. Like, what other books am I missing out there, people? <laughs> yeah, tell us what we should be reading, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about the, the finale of part one here, right? We end up at this, this, this return to the town. All right, should I try it? I'll, I'll try it. Uh... Maybe I shouldn't try that. <laughs> you should try because I want to hear it because it'll be funny because you always make fun of me. Svorishnashiki? <laughs> Svorishniki? Uh, okay. Oh, that, I, that I was pretty good. I I like it. I Let's, think that was good. The point being is we, we got a lot of questions about money being exchanged from Nikolai to Captain Lebyadkin. Mr. Drunk Lebyadkin who goes on this rant about honor and such. And oh, Mario. that guy's terrible though. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a character. We got plenty more to talk about him in, in part two and three. Don't worry. Oh, good. But we, good. we have his his sibling, Maria, who's, who comes in and fish out of water, if you will, a little bit. But but Nikolai escorts her out. Like, you know, like the mom's just like, okay, tell me who Maria the unknown is. Which is kind of strange to say someone's unknown Unless you're curious if their last name changed. She's basically saying, mm. did you marry that chick? 
Are you with her? Right? And Nikolai, in, in the same way that we have in Brothers Karamazov the, the idea of actions speak louder than words, he just ushers her out kind of without acknowledging whether he is married or not. Like, what happens in Switzerland stays in Switzerland, right? <laughs> oh, God, back to Switzerland again. <laughs> yeah. But, but dude, like, Piotr uh, shows up. Like, like, oh, my gosh, like, we're actually going to get to meet him? Like, I didn't know, is this going to be a Stepan novel? Is this going to be a Vavara novel? Now we have the younger generation, Nikolai, is taking front stage after biting someone's ear off and... <laughs> After after oh, yeah, taking this guy, her off stage, and he's, I, he's I just need going more off. of him. I need more of Nikolai. Like he better be front and center part two because I I feel like he's somebody that needs to be developed further. Yeah, what do you think of Piotr at this part? Did you think uh, what what do you think about how talkative he was and how he was just kind of like addressing everyone in the room? I feel like he is so insecure. He's trying to make himself feel more than he is. Uh, he is obviously not supposed to be there. And it's kind of like, if I'm too big to be real, then people will think I'm supposed to be here. I'll be accepted is how I felt Piotr was like, oh, this guy is a joke and he is going to be knocked down hard later in the novel. Okay. So yeah, him, him and Nikolai, I'm very excited to see what happens and how their relationships fit in with the the other characters that have been developed for the whole thing. Like they're throwing it right at the end. Um, so they have like nothing yet. So to see these relationship form is very, very exciting. Now, in terms of the plot, Nikolai walks back in and that's where you have the iconic to, to me, this was, Slap. Oh, oh, I love it. Shatov, Shatov just walks up to him and just whap, just slaps him right across his face. Lizaveta swoons. Shatov stares him in the face. And then he kind of like looks down and he's got to walk out. Yeah. And end curtain drop, right? End like, scene. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess like we should try to, I, I guess for somebody that maybe doesn't understand uh, the severity of this, of this is unfriending somebody. This is deleting them out of your cell phone. This is burning old love letters. I mean, th- this is like the most dramatic thing that you could think of at the time period uh, th- this is a big deal. It may not feel like it in 2022, but this is the equivalent of like a bombshell. Mm. Mm. It was really hard for me to think about like what the modern equivalent is, but even then from like a presentivism, gosh, that's a really hard word to say <laughs> from a presentism <laughs> perspective. It, it's really hard to, to give an example because like so many modern examples are laced with very modern reasons, Right. And true. And the duel going back in time, you know what I mean? Like doctors used to prescribe that as a way to stop someone from hysterics, right? Like if you're, if your child or your, or your wife or your best friends freaking out, just slap them, right? Like then they'll be okay. Like, like that's even used in movies. It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. And it's that open handed slap that is so insulting. It's that idea that, you aren't even worth a punch for those that try to solve their problems through violence. Like I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to hit you, but not really hit you because you're not worth it. And I mean, because I'm sure people have been in, you know, in, in violent situations and that those, I don't think ever have the intent for maybe killing it's to inflict 
pain because you're in pain. But this doesn't have that purpose. It has an ulterior motive. And that's something that's so hard, I think, could comprehend in modern society of violence trying to not be used as a form of like physical torture. Does that make sense? It's a warning. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, when we when we talk about the, the Russian culture, particularly at this point in time, uh, oh, oh, complex, right? Like I, I I don't understand it fully, but you have to take into consideration how, I mean, even like their job titles are tied to, to to like you know when you look at the 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 old uh, Peter the Great uh, table of ranks, you know when you talked about who is nobility, like there's a yeah. rank that you reach where you become nobility, like your job becomes that level, and you got to remember, dude. I mean, Shatov, former serf, where's he on that table? He, he's he's down. He ain't even low. the same room as the tables in. No, <laughs> no. And, and and Nikolai, I mean, his mom's Varvara, like one of the wealthiest people in town, who owns the most amount of land. You right? It used to be two hundred souls that she owned. So for someone so much lower in class, who's not even like rank nobility, yet, to come up and slap to issue a warning, to issue violence against this higher-end aristocrat, this, this higher-end man, and then, and then just to stare at him, right? You are asking for a duel. You, even though duels are illegal, like, like you're not allowed to do it, they happened all the time. You're saying, I would rather die than to have some dishonor to have my belief systems violated any further, and Shatov crosses that line in front of the whole town here. And I think that's important because it kind of sets up us moving forward. And again, I haven't got to part two, but the slap here at the end is that's the that's the cliffhanger, right? Like, oh my gosh, this has happened. Where is it gonna go from here? What do you think's gonna happen? I I don't know. I I, I maybe a duel. Um, maybe some type of backdoor arrangement of marriage to try to appease. Maybe nothing. Maybe it, it's forgiven, and that would be you know that would be probably the most exciting of it all. If it was like if they would just like brushed it under the rug and forgave, because that feels like that never happened. So that would be very surprising. Uh, I really don't know. Why do you think Shatov slapped Nikolai? I think jealousy, maybe. Uh, as you said, maybe a warning that his status doesn't matter anymore, that things have changed in Russia at this time period, and just because you think you're better doesn't mean you are better anymore because I matter now. Do you know who Shatov's sis uh, sister is? Am I supposed to know at this point? Daria. Oh, okay. So one of the... Oh, so my sister. Okay. Could okay, be. so this is... You did wrong to my sister. Now I'm getting back for her. Okay. I mean, I love my sister too, so I get that. <laughs> do you think it has anything to do with Maria? Like the way that, you know, with Dostoevsky, actions speak louder than words. He led Maria out the room. Right. Why? 
doesn't want her to be embarrassed of what's about to happen. Okay. Okay. I'll say this. I had all these questions at the end of part one. I know I can't reveal them yet. <laughs> okay, good. We, we got to <laughs> keep going alone. into part two, but let's, let's do a real quick question. This is my last question of the day, because I want to ask this at the end of each part and see if our answers change. Okay. I wanted to okay. ask you, the title of the story is Demons. In our translation, it's also translated to Devils, also translated to The Possessed. Who are the demons in this story? Ah, I knew you were going to ask this. Uh, I've been thinking about this the whole time while reading this, is why did Dostoevsky name this Demons or Devils or whatever it comes translated mm-hmm. out? Is it everybody? Is it the demons inside all of us? I also had the thought of, are are these people supposed to be representations of the seven deadly sins? Um, I don't have all the characters yet. I don't have all the character development yet being in part one, but I would like to revisit this again at the end of part two and obviously at the end of part three in the novel of, is somebody lust? Is somebody greed? You know, et cetera, et cetera. I think that they were all guilty of being a demon or having the devil inside of us. I guess how you act upon and treat others is whether you're seen as a demon or a devil. Uh, I I think at at the end of part one, I cannot answer the question um, with the right answer, quote, (laughs) in quotes. Um, But I could definitely say I don't know, but I'm hoping to find out. (laughs) Now, I know you've been to school, you've studied this Bible story before, but you know about um, the opening epigraph. It talked about Legion, right? Drive in Luke, driving the the demons out of the man into the pigs. What are your thoughts on that story in relation to this? Like any thoughts on that? So I guess this could be the idea of a young liberal Russia coming to drive out the old sins of the way of life of things before and maybe the old aristocrats trying to hold on to that way of life. Uh, It seems a little too political to be intermixing the ideologies of religion and politics together because in my experience, they don't mesh well together usually. We'll revisit this at the end of part two. Playlist down below. Of course, my name's been Uno. (laughs) Really appreciate you spending time with us. We have, again, the Before You Read video, which is meant to be context, and thank you to all of our people who have been reading along with us. I'll leave links to all of their channels down below. Follow along for the playlist to find out what happens in part two. I hope you guys are enjoying this book. I'm absolutely loving it. My (laughs) name is Una. So uh, stick around for part two. Peace.